A-L-T-C-O-M-I-C-S. So hey, uh, here we are. Uh, I'm Mark, and uh, we're here today with Shannon Wheeler. Mm-hmm. Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself? All right. I started off doing cartoons in my college paper. I did a comic called Calaboose, and then moved into doing single panel, moved into doing Tooth and Justice. Moved to Texas and started drawing a comic book called Too Much Coffee Man. Started as a mini-comic, then eventually did a comic book. Too Much Coffee Man I did for years, and to get out of that, I eventually started doing cartoons for The New Yorker, and recently I did cartoons for my friend's rewrite of the Bible, and most recently I did a book where I illustrated Trump's tweets. So let's talk about that. Uh, you know, I'd like to think it's a PG-ish podcast, but what what do you call the book? Uh <laughs> It's yeah. it's still so fresh. I don't know. I'm really self-conscious about uh, swearing until I start doing it. Yeah, I call it SH My President Says right now, but that's not, it obviously is not that it's, you know, SH apostrophe T. Shapostrophe T. Shapostrophe. That's all right. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do about that. And, you know, actually I felt weird about the title. It's, it was one of the titles I put forward. But then I was like, eh, it's like that, you know, my dad said, you know, that the other guy's book. And um, have you talked to him? I did, actually. So I said, the caveat I had with the publisher is I said, I do not want to do this book with this title unless we get an okay from this guy. That's just not cool. And they said, oh, legally, it's fine because blah, blah, blah. And I spaced out with their legal reasoning. I said, no, it's not cool. We don't do that. And so I emailed him and or I think through. Twitter messaging or face, I don't know, but he wrote back. He's like, "Yeah, go for it," or you know, something enthusiastic. So I gave him a thanks in the book, and yeah, it was, it was really good. Um, I think he, I'm bad at girls. I think is his new book, which I'm bad at girls. I think I think that's right. I might be okay. chewing up the title, but is his dad still around? I don't know. Uh, we have to we have that's to look not into this. Question I could ask. So, okay, something like this where you're illustrating Donald Trump's tweets, how would you go, say, making an audio book out of something like that? The only way you could do it is get Mark Hamill in there to do it as a Joker-esque. Or, you know, maybe what Circus would be the other possibility. Andy Circus, right. Andy Circus. As Golem. Yeah. <laughs> one one ring to lead them. We will build the wall. And we will even, build a wall. I can't even do that, the imitation voice of that. I, I can't imagine. Um, okay, so anyway, um, be- before we completely beat these tweets to death, uh, <laughs> I-, I wanted to talk to you about this. This came up earlier. You just recently came back from uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Yes. Where you did a presentation of all this. And yeah. that, that was with Bob Sikoriak, who has a book on a similar sort of theme. Is that correct? Yeah, and it was great. It, he was great, actually. Um, he... Yeah, the book that he did is taking Trump's quotes and putting them to kind of Marvel Comics narratives. And so he did a similar thing of trying to create an arc where you feel a beginning and a middle and an end inside of this, um, inside the book. And that was kind of part of my 
concern as well. But it, for the for the panel that we did, uh, so Koryak took images of presidents appearing in comics and talked a little bit about the history of that. So JFK in the 60s, Nixon in the 70s, and what how presidents are represented, either as uh, villains or heroes, Obama, Clinton. And I focused on a history of political cartooning in magazines. So talking about Mad Magazine, going into... Well, I started earlier with uh, Punch, um, and then Hearst's fight and buying a magazine to put it, like, put it under. And then Mad Magazine, going into National Lampoon, um, and then Spy Magazine. Wow, um, Spy Magazine. That is that is going back for our listeners. Just, just Google that. It, it is a landmark. And it's a landmark, but it's also really significant because they're the ones that talked about Trump as, as being a short-fingered vulgarian. So they... They're the ones that accused him of having small hands. And he responded to that accusation by sending them a copy of his book, The Art of the Deal, and circling his hands in a gold pen saying, see, they're normal. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I, I had a funny experience the other day. I was, I was getting just a, a cup of tea from a local uh, cafe where we, we'd put up a promotion for the event we did with you today. And I'm sort of sitting there, stirring my tea, looking around, and there's the poster for the event, and there's this guy with socks pulled up rather high uh, on his leg and wearing, wearing shorts and whatnot, and he, he had his coffee or whatever. And on the table was a dog-eared copy of The Art of the Deal, and I had the hardest time just trying to not do anything related to that. How could you not go talk to him? I, I don't. I, I didn't know what to say. It was like, are you? You know, there's. I think the motivation, the why, was like the uppermost in my thoughts. Like, are you? You know, what are you trying to get? What out are you of this? researching? What I would say is, like, are you researching a parody or something? Like yeah, that? maybe he he might actually be a cartoonist who's working on his own book. <laughs> um, th- there's always that danger. The secret empire. The secret empire. So yeah, we're just looking at some of uh, Ed Brubaker's books over here with the the criminal, the savage uh, sword of criminal, and the deadly hands of criminal. And uh, a lot of people uh, know Ed from his involvement with Captain America. And uh, Mr. Steve Englehart, back in the seventies, gave us some of the strangest and most memorable Captain America stories of the modern era, with the Secret Empire, which ultimately turned out to be. A secret criminal organization run by none other than Richard M. Nixon, President of the United States. Now, the secret empire has been brought back. Coincidence? We shall see. Where do you go with that, right? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. That's pretty solid. Um, Yeah, there's some good comics coming out. Yeah, what, what kind? Do you still read comics that you want to talk about? What that sounded bad. What comics are you reading these days, Shannon? Ah, good question. Yeah, usually my friends' comics or every yeah, if I if I meet people at cons and they're like, Oh, here's a comic or if I get a really good recommendation, like, Oh, this is great, then I'll chase it down. Other than that, I'm I'm cheap and so I don't chase down things, but if I see a name I like, like Chip Zadarsky is always funny. And Brew Baker I like. I just follow names that I know. 
So last good book you read that you'd recommend to someone? Like, do you do, you do more reading? You know, do you still you know, read books, magazines, things? Or are you finding yourself reading stuff off computer screen, laptop, desktop, phone, whatever it is? Uh, a few books and then audio books because I can ink while I listen to an audio book. But I still like, like Seven E's I really liked. Um uh, in Sound Clown, President, I really like that one. Uh, Matt Tybee's stuff, I, I'll read that when I get the chance. And then the other one I'm reading is the Shattered book, which is the reporters that embedded with uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign. And it's kind of made me like her more and hate her more at the same time. They they detail all the mistakes that were made in the campaign. And we're talking about this a little bit earlier and the resistance. Uh, um, can you give us a little bit of the context of how uh, this was created? The, and this is listening to a review on another podcast. And it all comes around. The, they, and they were they, they had the, the writer on and, and there was or I think both of them. There are two writers and they were writing this book. They were embedded with Hillary Clinton's campaign as in the press pool. And they're writing this book as they go, and they're sending the chapters in, and they're noticing all these problems that are happening um, in internal conflicts, petty bickering, uh, lack of communication, and that's being included in their book, and it's going to their publisher, and the publisher is saying, this can't be a book about their faults. It needs to be a rah-rah book because Hillary's going to win. Like you can't be right. Like it, you need to take a different tone. And they said, well, this is what we're seeing, and we're just they're, – they're at heart reporters. And so they were, they were writing what they were seeing, and they, and they stood by it. And so, yeah, I, don't, I think it's still an open wound for a lot of people, so I'm not sure. How, but the book – the writing is great, and the book is great, and it is, it's tragic. It was a tragic set of events. The, the old ones, um, Peter Mareska doing the Sunday – Funnies, um, Sunday Press, those books, he just came out with a Dick Tracy that I'm really excited to read. You know they're just like right down the road, right? They're local. Or oh. Peter's, yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Sunday Sunday Press, Sunday Funnies. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're San Jose. I, I only just found that out like last week. Oh, and weird. I just friended the guy on Facebook. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe you're like right here. I am in, you know, serious imminent threat of being killed by, by one of your little Nemo books that's on the top of the shelf near me. <laughs> Um, giant books. Yes, they're they're big and they're awesome. So, um, I, I did I, I did almost no research uh, for for our talk today, but something that kind of came back around. I was, I was looking at at some video game stuff, and I suddenly remembered uh, your character, Too Much Coffee Man, was actually an official release uh, by Sierra, the distributor of the Half Life game, as a model for well for the Half Life co op games. Yeah, I think I've asked that. you about this before, but uh, certainly not on mic like this. Right. Um, yeah, what was the story there? There, there's not much story. I mean, like, yeah, there. It's they. You, can we do this? Yeah, sure, go for it. And then I get uh, specs and I'm like, wow, it looks weird. I, I don't. Know, I liked playing Half Life, so that oh was, yeah, uh, that was pretty cool. But I've done weird, like I did a voice in um, what was that? The oh, what's the game where you drive a car and hit things, steal cars, and smash? Grand people? Theft Auto. Yeah, I did a voice in in uh, San Andreas. Oh, okay. You you know Brian Gibson? 
vaguely. Oh, okay. I, I wish he would do more of his cartoons. Yeah, those are great. Those are amazing. Um, um, yeah, all sorts of. I mean, you just do comics and weird things pop up every now and again, and you just do them like, oh, that sounds cool, and then forget about them. And... <laughs> so I, I didn't want to get too into the business end of things and, and stuff, and about how comics get around and proliferate and whatnot. Um, but how do you become the Forbes cartoon of the day? What's what's going on with that? That that was so out of left field for me. I'm like, I didn't know Forbes did comics. I, the New York Times barely does comics. Yeah. Ted Rawl uh, was editing, and he asked me to get on board, and I'm like, yeah, sure. Uh, that was that's pr- it, pretty much. If you chase something, you don't get it, and if you just do stuff, and then it comes to you, then it's there for you. And then a lot of times you're only offered things when you no longer need them. But that was a that's a really neat. I mean, it's just I am doing comics and I color them, and yeah, those are fun to do. Yeah, yeah, it's great seeing them. They, you know, your stuff pops up in unexpected places these days. Yeah, well, shifting from doing too much Coffee Man to doing New Yorker, then it opened up a whole new world. And then doing the Bible thing, that was another whole world, and then. The Trump thing is soon going to be a whole nother set of stuff. That's going to be a nightmare, I imagine. But <laughs> let's hope not. So, uh, can you give us some background on how you got going with the New Yorker stuff? How long you've been doing it? About how regular that happens? I also want to. I'm just going to throw this in here uh, now. I, I know you've been a, a usual gang of idiot. Uh, however, you say that on Mad yeah. Magazine in the past. Is yeah, it? I got on Mad. Um, with New Yorker, it was running into one of the cartoonists and uh, Matt Diffie, and that was at uh, Wordstock, a, a, a literary fest in Portland. And I asked him, "How do I do this? How do I submit?" He's like, "Oh, I'll tell you how to do it. Just you know, drop me a line and blah blah blah." And I was like, "Oh, great, sounds good." He goes, uh, and he was just about to—he was running out the door. He's like, "Oh, well, actually, here, just call me up." And he gave me his phone number on a business card. And so for about six months, I had the business card thinking I need to call him and do this. But I was so freaked out and afraid I would move it from the car in the house back to the car, put it in my wallet, put it up on the bulletin board, kind of subconsciously hoping I'd lose it. And then finally, I'd I'd think I'll call him Wednesday no, I'll call him Monday. I need to wait till my, I need to wait until I have a bunch of cartoons that are New Yorker-ish, and then call him up. So finally, I did, there's a trick in editing or publishing or cartooning, freelancing. If you wait till Friday afternoon and you call and leave a message because you know, if you call at three o'clock West Coast time, it's going to be six. It's going to be after closing East Coast time, and you leave a message. And then, like, oh, hoping to touch base. And then they, then you've got the weekend to finish whatever work you're thinking of doing. They'll call back Monday. And that way you get your work done. It's a way to add pad your deadline by a couple days and still not look like you're avoiding your editor, even though you are. Yeah, uh, that, that's an advantage of the West Coast thing in general. Like, oh, it's due Friday. Um, you, you know, we close three hours after you do. It's like so. Basically, it's due Monday. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very familiar with that. It's, <laughs> it's a good system. Don't change it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you need those extra 
days. And I thought, you know, given that pressure, I thought, okay, over the weekend, I'll get something together. I just need that hard deadline to do it. But he answered the phone, and he's like, who is this? And I had Shannon Wheeler asking about the New Yorker. What? Who? Like, oh, you met me? And he's like, I did? And I could tell that he was just really pissed off. He didn't know why I had his number. I was like, yeah, in Portland. Uh, he's like, in Portland? <laughs> when was I there? And I I just realized, so I just, I realized I'd blown the whole thing. So I just had to come clean. I was like, look, I've had your number in my wallet on the wall. Like, I've, I've been freaked out for six months. I finally got up the guts to call you. And he's like, oh, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> like, uh, how do you get in the New Yorker? He's like, oh. Well, send me your stuff, and I'll look at it and tell you what I think. I was like, okay, great. So I pulled together cartoons by Monday, and I sent them to him. And um, I said, I asked him, is Monday okay? Yeah, sure, that's fine. So I sent him stuff, and he said, uh, he's like, yeah, these are terrible, and really, obviously, you haven't studied humor. I don't know. You haven't studied? Did he really say you haven't studied humor? Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. It was... Oh. So I just started sending him cartoons every week. He, he said, well, do you want me to take them out to Bob, the editor, or do you want to keep sending me stuff and I'll critique them? And I said, you know, here's a guy that is offering to show me how, show me the ropes. And so I felt like I, it, it's a, you know, it's a rare opportunity to get that kind of offer. So yeah, totally. I, I took it and it was, you know, it was tough because I felt like, you know, I've I've been cartooning. I know what I'm doing. And he would just say, "Yeah, this cartoon is no puns, uh, no nothing meta. This is drawn. It's you know, all your drawings are all all the drawings are at eye level. Why don't you try some different perspectives? Why are they facing right? I, just weird stuff. And I would just work on it until. Now, were you a fan of New Yorker cartoons? I mean, New Yorker cartoons have their own language the way New York Times crosswords uh, questions do. Um, yes. And it's, it's, I think, a very obscure one to most people. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, I was. I mean, I was a big fan of Booth and um, Sam Gross and um, Gan Wilson. So, but a lot of that was from, you know, when I was younger, reading National Lampoon or something like that. Yeah. And then it bleeds over into, you know, Sam Gross doing I'm Blind and My Dog is Dead. And it's like, oh, my God, that's like that was it just hit perfect. And Gay and Wilson, I read growing up. So it's more the people than the place. Right. So have you kind of gone back and I mean, you know, there's so much just history and, and characters, you know, these I would say largely forgotten kind of gag cartoonists of, of the last century or so. Yeah. Are you, are you an informal historian of, of that sort of thing? Yeah. I was reading not only as much as I could of the cartoons, but I was also like Matthew Broderick and War Games, like finding all the interviews with the editor, Mankoff, trying to figure out what's his sensibility, what would work in the magazine. And I changed my style. I copied cartoons out of the magazine just line for line trying to get a feeling of it of what kind of minimalism or where to put in details right i've, I've followed your work for a long time and i'd say your style is in a, in a very kind of happy place now it's 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 got this rock solidness to it like there's nothing out of place well thank you it's yeah i, I 
to struggle. Like I doing the too much coffee, mean, like I would draw something and feel really crappy about it. So I'd cross hatch the hell out of it um, in order to hide how bad the drawing was or how insecure I am. But also, you know, I am a big fan of Wolverton and all that cross hatching that he did. Hmm. But, you know, people I've been asked, like, well, you changed your style for this magazine. Isn't that weird or kind of? And it's like, well, no, they're a jazz club and you play jazz in a jazz club. You don't like if you want to play punk rock at CBGB's like that's where you go. You don't play punk in in, uh, in the New Yorker magazine. You don't play punk rock at the New Yorker, kid. <laughs> go to CBGB's. Yeah. Bob will take one look at you through his Google Glass and you'll explode. You know he had that, right? Yeah. I hear I'm going to... So yeah, we talked about this when it came out. I don't know how long ago now. 2012. Wow. Five years ago. Um, so this would probably have been at San Diego Con five years ago. So Dynamo, who's best known to most people for uh, doing the Mad Men um, books, you know, of, of based on the TV show, um, had done a reinterpretation of a classic gag of Sam Henderson's for the magic whistle and it's someone going in to pitch their gag cartoon to an editor and the gag is get this it's an octopus but he's sitting on a toilet uh yes very nice don't call us we'll call you and there's a girl holding her portfolio in the waiting room going all i have with me are octopuses on toilets now what am i going to do (laughs) just completely absurd but then well the news came out uh, about the google glass um and i i at the time was trying to pitch gags to um to shannon for really no good reason Uh, (laughs) so i was like oh you should do this um and yeah so you actually have a google glass story well it's not much of a story it's just that bob he is a what he it's not a beta tester but it like Early adopter. Early adopter. Early adopter. So, yeah, Google Glass comes out. He buys it. And so I go in to pitch my company, and he's there recording it with his Google Glass. And so a stressful situation becomes that much more stressful because you like, oh, is this going to wind up on his blog where you're the butt of a joke? Or I don't know. It's just like you ran a red light, and he's got his chest cam on you. Yeah. 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 Uh so anyway, as, as a footnote to this, octopuses, right, or octopodes. Octopi is a fake Latin plural, pluralization and is incorrect. Octopus. I heard. heard that just recently, actually. Octopus comes from a Greek root. Don't be a chump. I'm going to have to re-record that bit later. but Yeah. I don't know if I buy that. That's one of the I don't weird either. Things. I've heard octopi since I was first grade from my teachers. So. Yeah, how, how valid is it to... Uh, use that my son's taking latin i would ask him but i'm scared to hear what he's going to say but you know language is is usage it's not just because it's a latin root or a, a, greek, a greek root, root. and then and then a latin you know bastardization yeah it's usage and so it's it's like the word literally means something totally other than figuratively literally. now yes yeah it does not mean literally anymore yeah but that's the common it, usage it changed its meaning. Literally changed its meaning. <laughs> yes, it did. Oh, let's get a baseball bat out for that one. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Uh. Oh, so the other New Yorker thing that I've noticed, and this is one thing that having, like, reading all these cartoons, I mean, like, apart from, like, don't do meta, don't do puns, uh, homeless people they don't do anymore, but one thing that I've noticed that's kind of a universality in a lot of the New Yorker cartoons is that there's an implied narrative for before the moment of the cartoon and the time after the cartoon. So you read the cartoon and you can imagine a complete beginning and middle and an end to the story and, and your brain is filling in all these spaces. And that's really different than when you see a bad cartoon that's New Yorker-ish, it's usually because it's tried to over-explain the circumstance so that there's no implied narrative. So it's method cartooning? It's leaving gaps, and the, and that's where the humor for the reader comes in, is in that gap. It's the faith that the reader will figure out the puzzle. You don't over-explain it. 